word. Uh, and I've realized I've not noted down our reader for today. Um, so, um, excellent, John. Thank you so much. Um, I, knew, I knew that we had one, but I didn't, have, didn't bring up the right thing. John, do you want to come up and, uh, and, and read us uh, our Bible reading? Um, it is on your uh, handout, so please do um, grab one of those. Uh, look on the inside. Do follow along with the reading, and, um, uh, and, and then Neil will come and he'll preach for us. And again, it's really useful to have that in front of you. Sorry, I've not stood here before, so I didn't realize it needed a couple of Phil Bennett swerves to get here. But here I am. So let's hear the word of God as recorded in Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. I take it you can hear me all right. I'll just introduce myself. If you don't know who I am, I'm Neil, and I've been a member of this church for 30 plus years. Um, And I've got to speak today on the healing ministry of Jesus, which I think is ironic, really, because I'm suffering from a cold and I'm not a doctor. So uh, God's got a sense of humour. If my voice gives out, I do apologise. Also, I can't speak off the cuff, so I have to use my notes. But a prayer before I start. Heavenly Father, open our hearts so that we may learn from your word. And take these words of mine and use them as you will to your glory. Amen. 
I don't know uh, what you would say if I asked you to describe a typical day in your life. For each one of us it would be different, um, and I'm not quite sure what that would be, or how many pages you would write down. But in Mark's Gospel, from verse 21 to verse 38 of this chapter, Mark gives us an account of a typical day in the life of Jesus. And the day comprises of teaching, healing, praying, and moving on to another place. Um, What I want to talk about at the moment is what happened just before the reading. Because we get the second part of the description of a typical day in what we've heard this morning. So just before this, immediately before today's reading, uh, Jesus has been speaking in the synagogue. And he's been proclaiming the good news that comes from God. And if you look at verse 15, which is not in the reading, Jesus says, The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And people listening to Jesus thought he taught with authority that they'd not heard before. His teaching wasn't like anything else that they'd heard before. But while he was talking... Someone, a man with an unclean spirit, interrupted him and challenged him. And Jesus immediately told the spirit to come out of the man. Well, if you'd been there and seen that and heard that, you'd go and tell other people, wouldn't you? An unclean spirit has just been taken out of a guy, and I've heard some amazing teaching. So news about Jesus quickly spread. And at the end of the Sabbath, after sunset, the whole town arrives at Simon's house, stands outside and witnesses Jesus' healing and casting out demons. Now, there might be a slight problem for us as we listen or to those words because when we read the Bible, we naturally do so uh, through the filters of our 21st century understanding of medicine, our 21st century culture, our attitudes and the things that are accepted as norms. So if we do that, we might miss some of the significant things that are taking place. So, at the time of Jesus, illness was regarded as a spiritual affliction. How well you were reflected your spiritual relationship with God. So if something bad happened to you, of which illness was a bad thing, it must have been that you or one of your ancestors, had done something which annoyed God. Illness, affliction and disability were regarded in that way. You were spiritually not right with God. 
And certain conditions made you unclean. Now, to be unclean meant that you were unsuitable for offering worship to God. You couldn't go to the temple or the synagogue. You couldn't go anywhere near where they might find the Lord. You were spiritually unclean before God. And any person you touched or who touched you could be made unclean as well. Being deemed unclean often meant that you had to live outside the community. You were removed from God's chosen people. And Jesus came to show that that is not right. It isn't how well you are. It isn't how physically well you are. It's the wellness of your spiritual heart that matters. It's what's in your heart. Now, at the time, many bodily and mental disorders were understood to be the result of possession by an unclean spirit. Unfortunately, that word gets translated often as an evil spirit or as a demon. Um, Today, we understand and recognise these conditions and realise that each one of them has its own special and different form of support. But please hear me correctly. I am not saying that people with mental and physical disorders are possessed by an unclean or evil spirit. I am not saying that. But equally, I am not saying that there is no such thing as an unclean or evil spirit. We believe and trust in the Holy Spirit. Ergo, there must be a spirit that works against the Holy Spirit. um, That spirit... That spirit constantly prompts people and occasionally us to live and behave in ways which actively oppose God's will for us. That spirit causes people to be immoral both in nature and activity. That spirit continually works to separate people and us as Christians from God. After all, only we are sadly only too aware of the evil things that have taken place in this world just this last week. There is an evil spirit and it works against God. So, during the time of Jesus, people under the influence of such an evil spirit would have been drawn to Jesus because they knew who he was and wanted to oppose him. In fact, we read later in Matthew's Gospel, verse 12, sorry, chapter 12, verse 24, that the opponents of Jesus said, If I can get the right bit, I've got to get the quote right. The opponents of Jesus said this. 
He can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. That's what the Pharisees said about Jesus. So in Jesus' time, people considered to be possessed by an unclean spirit would often be cast out of the community. And not only that, their families would share and carry the shame. To the people of that time, when Jesus heals someone and casted out a demon, he didn't only remove their suffering, he restored their standing in the community. They are, re- they are returned to being a valued member of that community. They can resume their role in that community. But something far more important than that was taking place. They were transformed from being unclean to being clean. They were now able to offer worship to God. They were spiritually clean and had been made acceptable to God. In his teaching, Jesus called people to repent. That is, to turn away from the activities that defy God's rule and to trust in the arrival of God's reign through the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus' healing ministry was simply a natural extension of the kingdom of God. It was an extension of what God's kingdom means. It changes our hearts. It makes us well with God. Jesus' healing ministry and teaching together demonstrate that God's kingdom not only speaks truth to power, it forgives and heals people, restoring them to their community. It restores the spiritual realm that holds sway over them, thus restoring the spiritual heart, thus restoring each person's relationship with God. I want you to note one thing. Jesus didn't go out looking for anybody to heal. They all came to him because they'd heard about him and trusted that he would help them, or they were brought to him by people who had faith in him. I want to give you a very simple and trite analogy. I don't know whether you've watched a programme on BBC television called The Repair Shop, but in that programme, people bring a precious item that has a connection to a loved one of theirs. Unfortunately, the precious item has been broken, often into several pieces, and so the connection to the loved one has been lost. They bring this broken object to this barn and entrust it to an expert who restores it so that you can't tell it's ever been broken. And in so doing, restores the connection 
with the loved one. We are that broken, precious human being that God loved. And when we're brought to Jesus and put our trust in him, he fixes our brokenness. He restores our hearts and our connection to God and enables us to live in the realm of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes as a king on a mission to bring restoration. He is the Son of God, the rightful king who restores us, cleans away all our wrongdoing and reunites us with the kingdom of God. Why does he do all of that? Because he loves us. He loves us. He is a loving king. However, there's a danger to all of this. And I want to look at verses 35 to 38. After what must have been an amazing and very long night, Jesus gets up early and goes to a lonely place to pray and focus again on why it is he has come. Prayer was very significant in the life of Jesus. Praying to his Father strengthened and equipped him for his mission. Question, I wonder how many of our prayers wait on God and ask God what he wants us to do as opposed to us telling God what we would like him to do. Later, Simon and the others got up and hunted Jesus down. The term that's often translated as searched for actually means pursued or hunted and suggests that the search was carried out with some degree of annoyance. So Simon's comment, everyone is looking for you, was most likely meant as a reproach to Jesus. Something like this. Where the heck have you been? What do you think you're doing here? Everybody's waiting for you back there. Almost telling Jesus what to do. Although they all recognised they'd been restored, they thought, right, we've got a say in what happens next. They wanted to use their restoration for their own purposes. I'm fine now. Right, what are we going to do? And Jesus is having none of it. In verse 38, he says, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Jesus' mission is to the whole world, not to a small community. And even though we believe that God restores us in Jesus, there can be a tendency to assume that what we do with our restored life is completely up to us. What do I mean by that? God is in the process 
of restoring our church community here in Totley. He's shaping us more and more into a united body that is lively, active and faithful. But if we're not careful, we can begin to believe that the church community is mainly there for our benefit, for us to enjoy and to use to satisfy our purposes, our preferences. And we can forget all about Jesus' mission to go elsewhere. If we look at verse 30 to 31, we might get a clue as to what our response to being healed, restored and forgiven might look like. After the morning drama in the synagogue, on entering Simon's house, Jesus is made aware that, his mother in, uh, that Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a fever. Now we can gloss over that, but in the days before antibiotics, a fever could be fatal. And Jesus goes into the room and this is what it says. Jesus came and took her by the hand and raised her up. Here Mark uses the same Greek verb as he does when recounting Jesus' resurrection. And also notice, he touched her, which made him unclean. He took others' uncleanliness onto himself. And immediately the fever left her and she began to serve them. Jesus always commends humble service and described himself as one who came to serve. Later in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, we read that Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Mark uses the same verb for the actions of Simon's mother-in-law as he does for the actions of Jesus. In her we see that Christ comes as a loving king, whom we are called not only to receive restoration from, but to follow and to serve in his larger mission. Jesus didn't stay rooted in one spot. He went throughout Galilee, teaching and healing. The two go together. Serving in his mission doesn't stop at serving the needs of our church family. Serving in his mission calls us to go outside and serve the needs of other communities, where we work, our social community, the community in which we live, to go out there and serve their needs. But alongside serving their needs, we also need to follow Jesus' actions. We also need to tell about the faith we have and the hope we have in Jesus. We need to tell other people of him. Simply serving a community by meeting its needs will not bring people to Jesus. And definitely standing and preaching at them like I'm doing right now is not going to bring anybody to Jesus 
unless you demonstrate the love of God. In fact, it's likely to have the opposite effect. If we are followers of Jesus, the two must go together alongside regular prayer to listen to God and to be strengthened and equipped by God to serve in the mission of God. The call to serve Christ's kingdom isn't for others, it's not just for Ben, it's for all of us, every one of us, every one of us. Remember Simon's mother-in-law, her ability to serve didn't come from her, in order for her to serve, Jesus had to heal her first. She couldn't serve Jesus until she'd been healed. And it's Jesus who gives us that ability to serve in his mission. Our first step must always be to look to Jesus in prayer and trust in him. Receive the salvation he offers Embrace the restoration he wants to work in us and seek to use what he's given us to serve him. What use would we be if we had the cure for a fatal illness and didn't tell anybody else about it? But we've got news that brings hope of life in abundance. And Jesus calls us to share that hope we have in him, our good and faithful king. I'll just end in a word of prayer. Lord, Lord God, help each one of us to have a heart to follow you and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.